episode of Square State Sandlot Podcast. Hi, Sean. Hi. And I've got John Kitty joining me, and I am your host, Bill Montoya. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to focus mostly on uh, the NBA for this part one segment. Um, John joins me to to talk all things NBA, and then later on this evening, we'll, we'll record another one with Kyle and talk more about NFL, the draft, and all that fun stuff. Um, <clears throat> one thing I did want to mention just right off the top is very happy for um, Chad Muma, linebacker out of Wyoming. He went in the third round to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who had a great draft. Uh, they also grabbed Devin Lloyd. So between those two, I feel like they're going to have the linebackers of the future for the next 10 years to come. So happy for, for Chad. And another note that I had on the Wyoming Cowboys is they actually got a transfer player from the University of Alabama. Just pulling up his name here. It's uh, defensive lineman Keelan Cox. So that's a huge pickup in the transfer portal, getting a player that, that was recruited to the University of Alabama and now will be playing at University of Wyoming. So fantastic news for the Brown and Gold. They did have their uh, scrimmage game between the, the Brown and Gold teams yesterday. It wasn't super high scoring, but there were quite a few plays that that looked pretty pretty decent on the offensive side of the football and, and defense looked pretty strong as it usually is in Wyoming. So all good things there. And then we will get to the NBA. So, John, <clears throat> do you want to recap the, the Warriors-Nuggets series real quick, and then we'll jump into the preview for their next series? Yeah, uh, I think it was ultimately what the NBA kind of wants in a series. It was a very exciting series. Uh, it went 3-4-1, or four, one, I guess, uh, but it was a hard-fought series throughout the entire time. And... I thought it was very exciting. We get to see the new death lineup is what they're calling it. And I mean, like we've talked about before, we're pretty excited to see how that plays out throughout the rest of the playoffs. Uh, they do have a very tough matchup coming up. After they uh, beat Denver, they are gonna face the Grizzlies, which as you know, uh, throughout this, season they haven't played crazy well against them but with all their lineup issues i think they kind of have that you know wrapped up a little bit so yeah. we're going to see the best of the warriors against the best of the grizzlies yeah the uh, thing i'm excited about with with the warriors in that matchup and and as you said the the matchup it went three games to to one in the grizzlies favor in the regular season uh, but you do have to, to add the note that Draymond missed one of those. Uh, Clay missed two of them, I believe. And then they've also had Steph was out the, the last one that they played. So there, there have been some injuries to, to the Warriors players that definitely contributed to that because I feel like this is probably the best matchup in the entire playoffs that, that we have going right now. Um, just a couple notes. The uh, death lineup is has been renamed to the starting lineup <laughs> as that's that's what they went with the, the final two games in that denver series uh, it was it was massively successful in the first three games uh, not so much in the last two they 
Denver was able to to utilize some size with uh, Gordon and um, Jokic. They they were able to take advantage of the the undersized lineup a little bit. So I think that's one thing that that can definitely struggle with is if they are unable to get re, uh, offensive. Well, technically it'd be defensive rebounds. If they allow offensive rebounds because they're undersized, that's going to be it's going to cause huge problems for that for that lineup. So, and and we saw that definitely in those last two games. Um, the, the Warriors almost came back in one game four, uh, and then obviously it went to game five in in San Francisco, and they ended up winning that one. But that's that's the only way that I can see this lineup having issues. Exactly. Obviously, if they're not shooting well, then that's going to be a problem. But that's going to be a problem no matter what lineup you have if if you're not shooting well. But if they're not able to get defensive rebounds and they're not able to play defense against those bigger bodies and, and start to foul a lot, that's going to be the point where you, you start to see Looney coming in to, to give some size um, and obviously moving Draymond to power, power forward rather than center. So... The, yeah. the difference that they've had in in this team and teams in the past is, especially with Iguodala out, they don't have the size to to essentially play multiple positions. Like Wiggins is a very undersized power forward; he's basically like a normal size small forward. So uh, that'll be the the death of that lineup if there is a, a weakness there. But what do you think and about? The Grizzlies have a good rebounding team. Yes, they do. They, they have a tall team especially when uh, Adams is on the floor he's a one of the best rebounders in the league so exactly and I mean you have Jaron Jack as well so they have a very athletic like tall rebounding team so like you said this is going to give them the highest difficulty problem in the series so you know I got to hope for the, their best case scenario is shooting, and it's going to be shooting from a lot of players who aren't the typical shooters. Because you're going to see, you know, Curry, Clay, and Poole get up as many shots as they can, but they're probably going to contest every single one of those. So you're going to have to see, like, uh, Gary Payton, the second, he stepped up big time in game. Yep. So, game five. So you're gonna have to see game five. So you're gonna have to see a lot more of that. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. is gonna have to. Oh, yeah. He's Otto gonna Porter find a stroke. Exactly that, and ask for rebounding from him because he's one of the taller uh, rebounders. So, between those factors, that's what uh, this matchup's gonna entail. Yeah, I was reading a, a summary of the. Denver Nuggets series, and that was one thing they highlighted is Otto Porter Jr. was 2 for 13 from 3. Uh, Bielitsa was 0 for 3 from 3 in that series, and then Gary Payton was 6 for 8 in that series from 3. And that's not necessarily one of his strengths, but he can do it, and obviously he's shooting at a very good clip, 6 of 8. That's that's pretty pretty great. If you can shoot at that rate, you'll be, you'll be an all-NBA player. So, um, and that's he's one of the the X factors for sure in this series because if he's able to guard John Morant, and obviously he's he's not going to be on the the floor a ton, but 
Gary Payton II is one of the best defenders in the league. And it's funny because they picked him up. He was the 15th man on, on this team. So he's obviously expanded his role by his play. And when he's healthy, he's one of the best defenders on the floor. And especially missing Iguodala, they're not going to be able to throw him out there at, to defend uh, John Morant. You can't ask Curry to do it either. So I think there's going to be a combination of uh, Clay Thompson and Gary Payton the second. I think those two are going to be your your defenders guarding John Morant in this series. And I really think that's going to dictate how how this series goes is how well that they can play against him. So um, any X factors you're looking for in this series? And then predictions for it. <clears throat> Uh, I just heard a prediction. Somebody said Golden State's got this one just by the edge. They're going to take it in game six. I think I want to push it to game seven. I think it's going to take everything Golden State has. I I think Coach Steve Kerr is going to pull out all the stops and find up a decent lineup to get it done. Uh, I know they are going to be on the road, so it's going to be a little harder. It seems like they shoot a little worse on the road. So I think that their shooting is going to, you know, win them the games. Yeah. So we'll see how it plays out. But I do think the Warriors can take it. I think they have a little more playoff experience, which is going to help out a lot. So I still give the Warriors the edge on this one, but it's going to be close. And that's what – dream on he has i don't know if it's his podcast or if he does it with a couple other guys or what but he was the only one on that i was when i was watching it and he basically said playoff basketball is different like guys play entirely different than they do in the regular season in the playoffs so we'll definitely see this is going to be like you said i think this is going to be the the best series in all of these remaining uh, i think We'll talk about all the other games as well, but I think the uh, Warriors will probably take this one. I also said in six because if it's game, if it goes to game seven, that game's in Memphis. So yeah, I think if they're going to win it, they're going to have to take one of these first two on the road and then take both at home and then win, you know, one of the next two. And I think obviously it makes more sense to win at home because that's where you have the advantage. But I, I could see them winning in five, six, seven because they have the, the experience and they've, they've always been known to win on the road as well. Um, but yeah, I think the Warriors will sneak by in this one. And then I can't wait to see what I'm guessing is going to be Suns versus Warriors in the, in the uh, conference playoffs. So what are you, what are you looking for in the other series that are going on? We've got, Let's just go right to the the Phoenix and Dallas series. Do you think Dallas has a chance in that one? I do. Uh, after watching the Pelican series, I think Dallas has a chance. Uh, hopefully they can watch some game tape and see how they can manipulate the Suns because I think it's going to be an important issue to visit how they can beat the Suns because the Suns like to play that uh, pick and roll offense with Chris Paul and Aiton is too good and Chris Paul is too good but it seems like the Pelicans kind of figured out how to put I want to say length on Chris Paul and a lot of switching 
and it seemed like it worked really well and the Pelicans played out of their mind. But I think Dallas is a little more set. I think they're a little more experienced. So I think that kind of gives them the edge. And, you know, you have Luka Doncic who can light up the stage. So I think they have a chance. I don't know if it's going to work. I still believe the Suns are the superior team because, I mean, Chris Paul went 14 and 14. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of the best shooting performances in playoff history. Yeah, 14 for 14. I think he was four for four from three. Just, yeah. And then obviously the assist numbers and all that, that he contributes as well. He he had one of the best games I've seen in, in quite some time. So, yeah, it had to be one of the best I've ever seen. It was an incredible game. And the Pelicans put up a good fight. They just couldn't pull it out. Yeah. And you like to see that from those first-round matchups where it's 1-8. Most of the time, it's it's pretty much one-sided in the blowout, as you would expect. But, yeah, I think yeah. we definitely saw uh, some some decent first-round matchups in, in this year's playoffs. So that was, that was good to see. Uh, moving over to the Eastern Conference, we have uh, the 76ers going up against the Heat. And the caveat there being the 76ers will be missing – Joel Embiid for at least the first two games with that uh, face injury he took. When he comes back, he'll be wearing a, uh, one of those face masks. Um, do you think the 76ers have enough without Embiid to, to overcome the heat in that series? Well, you think like the Heat are such a good team and they're such an all-around team. They have defense. They have offense. They know how to play inside. They know how to play outside. So they are an extremely tough team. They just don't have the, like, super all-star, you know, Joel Embiid or a Harden. So I think it's going to be a better matchup than people think without Embiid. With Embiid, I got the Sixers taking it. So, you know, I I, it's just going to matter how how well the Sixers can play without him. These yeah. first two games are going to be huge. Uh, Tyrese Maxey is going to have to play out of his mind, and he's been playing really, really well. Yes. So I just don't know if he's playing so well with Embiid or just playing so well. So it's going to be a very interesting matchup. Yeah, and that's – I think if they go down two two games to nothing, they they won't be able to climb out of that hole. So yeah, like you said, the first two games are going to be very big. Um, he he is planning on coming back game three, but obviously that's yeah, going that's to minimum. Yeah, he he said himself he's planning on coming back game three, but it's all it's always going to come down to if the doctors clear him and all that stuff. So. We'll see. As of right now, we'll we'll count on him coming back in Game Three, and obviously he he had the thumb injury from the previous series as well, so he's going to be pretty banged up, and that's why I think I I, I think I'm going to go with the Heat in this series and probably five games. I would say I don't give the the Seventy Sixers much of a chance without Embiid. So, um, and then the other matchup you've got. This is the matchup that I'm super excited to watch, and that is yeah. the Bucks and the Celtics. Um, another one of these that may have 
that may be decided mostly by the the injury. Uh, you've got Chris Middleton. He's likely out the entire second round. Uh, they said maybe if it goes six or seven games, he might get in the tail end of that series. But that's that's uh, Milwaukee's number two scorer. So how do you see this one playing out, especially with the Celtics coming off that sweep and, and being able to rest up for this series? Well, I just finished watching the end of this game one. And it was kind of an eye-opener to me. I didn't expect Milwaukee to play so well. But you got Giannis playing just out of his mind on both offense and defense. And that's going to be huge for this matchup. Yeah. Uh, The defense was all there. Uh, And Drew Holiday picked up on offense. So... I, I want to give it to the Celtics because I think Chris Middleton is too big of a loss to overcome. But, you know, tonight Giannis showed that they're not going to lay down. And I think they just beat him by 11 or 12, something like that. Okay. So, and I hadn't watched that one yet, but that's okay. I okay. <laughs> I was going to watch it after, but. Like the Warriors game is is technically just started, so I I probably won't go back and watch it until tomorrow or something like that. So no big deal. Uh, I didn't know that the Bucks had a one game lead already, but I I would still say I think between Jason Tatum, uh, Brandon Smart, I think there's just too many stars on that Celtics team to overcome, even with that one game lead. Uh, without Chris Middleton, that's going to severely limit what. Uh, the Bucks do. So if they don't keep the Celtics under 100 points, I, I don't think they'll be able to, to beat them. Um, and I don't see them doing that for, you know, big stretches of, of games at a time. So uh, with that being said, who who do you have representing each, each uh, conference in the NBA finals? Uh, it's kind of a hard decision. Uh one side on the West, I am a little partial. So my decision isn't really fair, I want to say. But I got the Warriors. I think everything's clicking right now. I think they're going to figure everything out. I think they're going to figure the defenses out. I think they're going to figure out how defenses are going to play them. And they're going to be able to stop uh, the ball. So... I got the Warriors moving on to the finals and between injuries and upsets, I think Chris Middleton will be able to get back into the lineup with Milwaukee holding off the Celtics enough. So I think they're going to take this series and then I think they dominate whoever's in the semi or the, that, uh, conference finals yeah so i got milwaukee going back to the finals facing golden state that's funny because that's that's what i predicted at the beginning of the season obviously a little biased there with with my team being the warriors but yeah. uh with middleton missing i i think i'm gonna go with the celtics and and warriors and i think the celtics like I said, they have those three stars, but the Warriors have the the playoff experience, and I, I th- 
I don't want to jinx them, but I, I, I think I have them taking, taking it all. So, um, with that being said, is there anything else you wanted to talk about what, when it comes to the NBA playoffs, anything else NBA related? Uh, no, I think that is, oh, well, I did want to mention, cause I just saw it. Uh, I didn't know that John Morant won most improved player of the year. Yeah. That's a joke to me, but go I, on. I, <laughs> I didn't know that he's the one who won it. And yeah. That pissed me off a little bit because when they had Jordan Poole, like the reason for him not uh, getting in is he just got increased minutes, so increased opportunity and not improvement. And That's... I think that is just crap. Yeah. If you're going to give it to John Morant, who is basically, I mean, I don't know what it is exactly from last season, but it wasn't like a huge improvement. The team is no. just better. He went from from a good player to a great player in this season, where Jordan Poole went from a G League player to a one of the best players on a probably final finals participant yeah. team. So yeah, no, it was I think they, they really messed up that, that award for sure. And you have to remember that um, John Morant was the second pick overall. Like, this is what you expect when you take a player second overall. So him winning most improved player, it, I don't want to say draft position should disqualify you from that honor, but, like, that's what's expected from the second overall pick is to be a perennial all-star. Jordan yeah. Poole came out of nowhere for people that weren't watching. Like you said, last year, G League to this year, one of the better players in in the NBA. I mean, definitely on the yeah. Warriors team. They had. I don't him, get it. I saw videos of uh, reporters saying this is one of the worst picks of like the last ten years. Just a terrible pick. And then you know he has the up and down seasons from one, two, and three. They get sent down to G League, and then he comes back. You know that uh, last year when he was you know, playing with, uh, trying to get into the playoffs, that playoff uh, play-in game. Like, I mean, you take him from that level, he was playing large minutes. And now this season, he's playing large minutes and he has skyrocketed yep. with his ability. I, I just don't see the comparison between Jaw and him being even really close with most improved. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I, I complain about these picks all the time, especially when, when you call it like most valuable player and things like that, especially in the NFL. Um, usually it just means the, the quarterback with the best stats rather than the most valuable player. Exactly. Uh, when, when you have, you know, teams that are very well built, and they could win with anyone, and you just give it to the best player on that team, that doesn't make sense to me because they're not the most valuable player. If you take them off their team, the team's still going to do well. And that's, yeah, that's where I think most of the time the the writers get these awards right, but there's some glaring examples where they either don't understand what, the, what it actually means or they just get it plain wrong. And I think Jordan Poole was a, a clear example of that. John Morant, I mean, 
he should be up in the conversations for for MVP, not most improved player. Yeah, I, but, I don't think it, it's fair oh well. to even like closely evaluate the two. And I, if I've been watching all of their games, you know, he has improved his three point shot. Besides that, I mean, he's got more points. So they told him to take the butt or take it to the hole more. I, I don't know where the improvement comes from. Yeah. I really think it's just how they went from play in game to to the two seed. And again, I that's you not say that about the Warriors too. Exactly. And that's <laughs> not that's not saying that Ja was the only reason for that. I mean they won yeah. I think they so, won all every game that Ja wasn't in. Exactly. For, for I the think Grizzlies, they went like so. thirteen and two without him. Yeah, it was something crazy. Like I think he missed eighteen games, and they they yeah they only lost one or two games or went undefeated or something like that. So it's like clearly he's not the only reason for this team being better. It's just the team's better, yeah. and you don't give that to one person. But I, I don't would, know. I would say you know Desmond Bain or Dylan Brooks were one of the bet like more improved players on that team. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. oh well. I mean that's one thing that we can complain about till we're blue in the face and nothing's gonna change. So <laughs> Yeah. That's fine. But anyway, on that note, we'll we'll leave that there. Uh, when we come back for part two, Kyle will be joining John, you'll probably be asleep being in the UK and all. Uh, but just real quick What's your take on the, on the Packers draft to get that in there? I loved it. This was the draft I think most Packer fans were kind of looking for. I uh, I know there weren't like a big time trade through wide receivers going around the league, but they filled a lot of not exactly a lot of needs, but we didn't really have a lot of needs outside of wide receiver. So they improved a ton in my in my eyes for the future. Yeah. Plus they went out and got three receivers. So they're taking their chances on receivers. And I think Aaron Rodgers is all on board with what's going on. So I think it's it's just a knocked it out of the park kind of draft. Yeah. And I think they could have easily traded up and taken a wide receiver in the first round, but that's not something you, you see them typically do. Um, they typically draft best player available and then needs obviously come as, as the value aligns. So they went, they double dipped in the first round at uh, linebacker and then defensive tackle. And both picks were, were pretty well liked, I think. And then they traded up to get Christian Watson from North Dakota State rather than forcing a, a pick there in the first round when there wasn't necessarily a first round wide receiver available. So, yeah, I think and he's he's one of those rare wide receivers that that can play basically any position with great speed. He's he's big, big target. Um, I think it's just going to be how quick he can pick up the offense before he can contribute. So I think that was a really good pick. And then. Like I said, they, they helped shore up the defense as well and added a, a couple offensive linemen, didn't they? Uh, a tackle and an offensive lineman. Yeah, so 
you, you gotta like that draft. Obviously, we can we can say we like everyone on on tape, and when it gets out there, we'll see how they actually do in the NFL. But exactly. at least on paper, I think you guys improved quite a bit. I don't think you overcame the loss of Devonte Adams, but you can't really expect yeah. to do that with a draft pick. So, but I do think that they're not done quite yet. I think they they went out in this draft and you know the the number one thing was wide receiver we got to address wide receiver uh it just wasn't a good fit for the first round yep it made way more sense they got way better value for the two picks that they got and then trading up to uh christian watson yep that just makes more sense you still get a good wide receiver in the draft. You still get, you know, high value in the first round. So I'm a huge fan of what they did. Plus, they can go out and find, you know, there's still uh, free agents out there who haven't been signed yet. So, you know, I, I see them figuring out what's next. Yeah, I think they still have cap space available and – the, the need at wide receiver that maybe they pick up either uh, Julio Jones, see what he has left in the tank, uh, OBJ if if he's recovered from his knee injury. Although I think that the Rams are still probably the odds-on favorite to to get yeah. OBJ if they can off if the Pat, Packers can offer him more money, they may have a, a better chance to get him. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, any other targets you think maybe? Uh. Beasley from the Bills. Yeah, he would be a, a good slot wide receiver for sure. I would I would like to see him get a chance just because I think his value would be right there. Because I think you could get him fairly cheap. Yep. And you don't have to sign him to a long term deal. So Yeah. He I would probably he would... sign one of those one year prove it deals to show what he can do with uh, Aaron Rodgers get those stats padded and then hopefully cash in one more time. So yeah, I like that yeah. fit as well. But how about the Raiders draft? Well, I'll go into you it. Wanting to check that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll go into it deeper when when Kyle and I are both on, just because we we have it broken down pick by pick. But I'll, I'll give a little spoiler here: is I I do like that we aren't drafting, you know fifth round players in the third and, and so on and so forth, just because it's a position of need. And that's what uh, Gruden did a lot. So I like the, the change in philosophy of, of taking the, I don't want to say best player available because I don't know that that's always the, the key there, but the highest rated player on their board, regardless of position and then figure it out after that. Cause at the end of the day, the, the Raiders do need offensive line, uh, and that's what they went went with in their third third round first pick that they had. Uh, and he wasn't necessarily a position of need, although they do need offensive line. I'd, I'd argue they need a tackle, and they t- took a guy that's probably a, a center or a guard. So the the positional value is there, and I like that. So that that's what I'll say, at least to start. It's just that I like the shift in philosophy rather than, oh, we need a tackle. Well, this guy's graded in the seventh. Well, let's just take him because he's the only one available. I, I didn't like that, and that's what Gruden did a lot. So, All right. Okay. Well, with that all being said, I think that's that's good for the part one. 
And then, like I said, we'll, we'll jump on part two later on this evening, have more clarity on the Warriors game. I know that started, but I haven't watched any of it yet. So probably at least comment on that after that one's completed. And, and then Kyle and I have quite a few fun questions along with draft breakdown and all that stuff as well. So, John, thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for your input on the Warriors, NBA, and your Packers. And any parting okay. words? Go back out. Also, Warriors. Let's win the next one. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Take it easy. Welcome back for another episode of the Square State Sandlot Podcast, or actually part two of episode 46. Got Kyle joining me, and I am your host, Bill Montoya. We've got a bit to talk about. Um, John was already on in the first half. We, we talked mostly just about NBA and then obviously his Packers and what he thought of their draft. So Kyle and I will discuss the NHL playoffs. We also have a couple fun questions that are sports related, but not necessarily about current events or anything like that. Uh, and then we have our draft recap for both our teams. And then there were a couple people that put in our socials that they wanted to, to hear about specific teams. So we'll, we'll touch on them as well. So uh, that's what we have lined up for for the rest of this part two, and we'll get right into it. So to begin with, Kyle, you are the subject matter expert on this. We've got NHL playoffs coming up. Uh, Absolutely. I was just reading. I, I know you're fired up for that. NHL playoffs is one of the most exciting things, even though I don't have a, a horse in this race. But I was reading an article and it had like odds for each team advancing and, and winning the the Stanley Cup. So first, what's, what's your opinion? How do you think this is going to go? And then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, it's it's a pretty, pretty stacked playoff, honestly. Um, I mean, as far as the odds go, um, as, as you noted here, that the favorites are the Panthers and the Avalanche, and rightfully so. They're both... Um, I mean, both top of each of their divisions, and they've been playing amazing hockey. Um, Avalanche, we'll see. They kind of always do this and then fizzle come playoff time. They've had some really good seasons. Um, I hope they show up and play better on that side. Uh, Panthers, I can't help but um, go for them a little bit because they have Patrick Hornquist, which is one of my favorite players that we had during our, our cup runs. Um, so I love him. And then Joe Thornton, man, you can't not love that guy. Uh, if honestly, if, if my penguins can't pull something off in these playoffs, then I want the Panthers to take it just so Thornton can retire with a cup. Win one um, for Joe. Oh, for sure. man. Uh, as I'm far still as pissed he didn't get one with the sharks I to know. this day, <laughs> I, I, I'd say I apologize, but I don't, um, mm. with that, with that being said, we have the Rangers, which. It's going to be a tough matchup for us. Um, we played them late in the season. And they took a took a handful of those. I'm hoping um, we've played really well off breaks, so I'm hoping going into this Tuesday night, uh, both game one and game two are in New York, so I'm hoping we at least split those. Um, if we can get past the Rangers, though, we can play anybody else in this playoff. So um, I don't know. It's exciting. I love I love playoff hockey. So man, yeah, if you've I never watched say- it. Playoffs are the time to check in. I want to say that you guys were favored to win this first round, but then no, not we're actually favorites to win the next. Uh, Rangers are favorites. 
Okay. Fair enough. Maybe you guys could pull it off. I don't know. Hoping. Our, our window with our with our big threes getting smaller and smaller every season. So we don't even know if but, we'll have all three of them back next season with Crosby, Latang, and Malkin. So yeah, I hope we make but, some magic happen. The reason I, I felt like these odds were, were accurate is because they had the Predators as the least likely team to win the Stanley Cup. And having seen them in person, I, I'm going to go ahead and agree with that. Yeah, I mean, there's always a couple that sneak in. Um, and, yeah, they're, they will probably be handled round one. But you never know, man. That's the beauty of playoffs. Winning, seven, winning best of seven is no easy task for anybody. So it's always wide open, especially in hockey. Yeah. All right. So I guess one note I should say um, – in, in regards to the NBA playoffs, the Milwaukee Bucks won their first game. And okay. that was kind of surprising with, with them missing Chris Middleton. I think that's who you were picking them in the – oh, no, you were picking the Celtics to win it all, right? Um, I was going for them, but my I hope whoever wins out of this Bucks um, celtics series wins the whole thing. How dare you? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> and then on on that note, we also had the uh, Grizzlies and Warriors game one just wrapped up a, a little bit Good ago. Finish. Man, that was a crazy game. Uh, Draymond got ejected with a minute and eighteen left in the in the second quarter, and got to sit out the rest of the game. Um, everyone was in foul trouble on both sides because the refs were just blowing a whistle every thirty seconds or so. It was absolutely ridiculous, but at the end, Clay missed two free throws, and the Warriors had a one-point lead. John Morant got the ball with three and a half seconds left and made a made a play towards the basket. I thought for sure the refs were going to call a foul because they looked at him, and that's all it took this game. Well, but, yeah, you got to wait for the reaction to see if you call it or not. Yeah, exactly. So Warriors held on and, and took the first one on the road uh, was kind of surprising because like I said, they, they were missing Draymond for the entire second half and they had Wiggins in at center at certain points in that game. So it was hoof. Yeah. Anyway, they, they escaped with a win and hopefully that, that is the way that the series is going to go. Cause it's only going to go up from there when you have Draymond for the entire game. So hoping good things there. And then, we got a couple of fun questions. I'm going to let you ask them first since these right. are your questions you came um, up with. Yeah, I just felt like shaking things up a little bit and uh, <laughs> pretend like I was calling in as a fan like the early days. Um, so I got a couple questions uh, both you and I will answer, I guess. Um, to start off with, uh, I'd be, I thought it would be fun to talk sports movies. So, Bill, I want to know what your favorite sports movie is for baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. Okay. So I should preface this by saying I don't watch a ton of movies, um, but there is one that I've watched recently that that actually made this top top list. Uh, so I'll just go in that order. Uh, MLB or I guess baseball. Um, I, I split this one because I went one that's kind of like serious based on real life. Yeah. And then the other ones that that's just a fun movie that I've always enjoyed. So The Sandlot is still one of my favorite baseball movies. Oh, yeah. And then uh, 
I also put Moneyball as, as 1B, and that's because it's based on my team. Uh, I don't think it was a perfect remake, obviously, of, of what actually happened. But it was very entertaining, and obviously going back to that early 2000s for the A's was a hell of a time to be alive, so to speak. So I like just hit you in the feels there. And then for, for basketball, I, I really haven't seen a recent basketball movie, but one of my all-time favorites is Hoosiers. And let's go NFL, or I guess but football, uh, American Underdog. The Kurt I have Warner not story. seen this yet. Oh God, you to. need to see it. It's fantastic. Oh, my dad said. So yeah, that was that was a good one that came out recently. Just in fact, earlier this year, and it's it's a really good one. I love Kurt Warner. I love his wife. Uh, so seeing that story told was was fantastic. And then hockey movies, literally the only one I can even think of. So I don't know if this qualifies as best, <laughs> but Mighty Ducks. That's the only There's hockey so movie I think I've ever seen. All right, I'll take it. Um, well, I will see your baseball movie and uh, <laughs> I guess match you. It's definitely the Sandlot. I don't think there's, especially leaning on the kid's side of baseball movies, I don't think there's any any movie that even compares. No. Um, getting over to basketball, I absolutely loved Blue Chips when I was younger. Definitely an old movie. Nick Nolte, a um, bunch of NBA players led by Shaq. Uh, it's just I liked it because it kind of told the truth about college recruiting and kind of the dirty, darker side of, you know, collegiate sports, but uh, just a very good movie. So blue chips, if you haven't had, if you haven't checked that out, um, for foot, you need to, it's very good uh, for football. I got to go with Rudy. I know that that movie is embellished beyond all belief. Um, I mean, they've, they've, they've admitted as much, but you can't help, but love that movie. Um, you That's know, a good one. It's, hits you in the feels. And then since you have not watched a hockey movie, this movie is not just one of my favorite sports movies, but one of my favorite movies of all time. So uh, Mystery Alaska, true story. Um, again, probably embellished, but uh, tells the story of Mystery Alaska. They had a hockey team up there that got enough buzz, very small town, but got enough buzz that they actually brought the New York Rangers into town to play them. Um, Absolutely amazing movie. It's got, uh, um, God, now I'm not even going to remember his name. Gladiator. Russell Crowe. Oh, Russell Crowe is the, is the star actor in that movie. And uh, I don't know. I absolutely love it. It's it's one of my all-time favorite movies. So I like it. Mystery Alaska. I'm going to check that one out. You're going to have to check her out. Um, so that brings us into my next line of questioning. Um, I just wanted to hear your best or favorite, it doesn't matter, player of your team, NFL, uh, you know, MLB, NBA, NHL, all through the top four. Okay. Lay it on me. So this one was really tough for me because, like, I have two that are pretty much the top of my list in NFL, and that's Charles Woodson and Tim Brown. So I did the 1A, 1B on that because I couldn't choose. Obviously, Charles, yeah, Charles is my favorite defensive player we've ever had. And then Tim Brown was my favorite offensive player that we've ever had. And Tim Brown was an absolute stud, even though the Raiders didn't have very many good quarterbacks throughout his time there no. until they got Rich Gannon. So uh, he still put up numbers, even, even despite the lack of 
production on the quarterback side. So uh, I don't know that he gets enough love. Probably an underrated player as much as a Heisman winner can be. <laughs> I like and it. And then this one I hinted at last last episode, Dave Stewart is my favorite A's player of all time. And then um, for the Warriors, I did one from the recent past and then a current player. So Jason Richardson was the main reason that I freaking loved the Warriors. Like, Growing up, I, I didn't have a huge affiliation with any basketball team. I just kind of watched players. And yeah. um, it, when when the Warriors got Jason Richardson, man, that guy was phenomenal. He could hit threes. He could dunk. And he was always in the dunk contest and always doing things that I didn't even know were possible. And then it's true. obviously by the time Steph came around, I was already a, a full-blown Warriors fan um, and – Watched Steph come up through the college ranks and just loved him at Davidson, taking those teams to the to the Sweet 16 and whatnot, despite being a, a mid-major college. So when we drafted him, that was one of the happier days of my life, for sure. And then for hockey, we already talked about him, but Joe Thornton. Yeah. The he's, man, the myth, he's awesome. the gray-bearded legend. It's getting pretty gray. No, I like mm -hmm. it. That's a very good list. Um, I did some of the, uh, you know, 1A, 1B, <laughs> threw out a lot of mine as well, um, starting with NFL. Uh, as far as the Steelers go, it had to be Troy for me. Paul Amalu is such a unique player. Um, honestly, your and my generation, being able to grow up watching Paul Amalu and Ed Reed play the safety Ooh. position, yeah, we are beyond spoiled. I don't think anyone has before them or will after them play those positions. And they both played very differently, which is also the the fun part of it. Um, For sure. I don't know. They're, it's just once in a lifetime watching a career like that. And then near and dear to my heart, my my one B would be Brett Kiesel. Uh, they took him in the seventh round, little flyer on a boy from Wyoming. And uh if you ever pay extra close attention to James Harrison's uh, touchdown return off the fumble, um, the lead and key block on that play is Brett Kiesel. So that's my that's my little plug there. Um, moving on to MLB, I absolutely uh, I absolutely love currently David Bednar. He's actually a local kid out of uh, Mars, PA. He's right there from Pittsburgh. So for him to be able to come in and uh, be really our best closer right now. Um, and he walks into Renegade, which anybody who follows the Steelers knows is a big deal. And I love that he uses Renegade as his walk-in music. So I love David Bednar, but ultimately it has to go to Hannes Wagner. I absolutely am just obsessed with the man. I can't stop reading material on him. I can't stop looking back at him. Um, I alluded to this way lot, forever ago in the original podcast, but to be able to watch him play um, in that 1909 World Series against Todd, or, uh, Ty Cobb would have been wonderful. Um, so that's my MLB. NBA, there's only one guy. I absolutely adored Penny Hardaway when I was a kid. Um, he's kind of a – he kind of was Derrick Rose before Derrick Rose came onto the scene, had the injuries not affected him like it did Derrick Rose. He would have had an absolutely amazing career. Um, and it and was, he was a stud. Oh, for sure. man. And he kind of, I don't want to say he's responsible, but he was kind of that, 
he was before his time of these bigger point guards. Um, yeah. He stood out back then for how big he was. And then hockey, my bread and butter. Um, this was a tough one for me. I had to, of course, mention Mario Lemieux. In my opinion, he's another one had cancer not hit him in the middle of his career and he not had to make the comeback. I think he would be in talks with Gretzky. Um, yep. There are things he did better than Gretzky. He didn't always have the team that Gretzky had. Um, and the fact that he was able to beat cancer, come back. Uh, the Penguins almost left Pittsburgh at one point in time. Mario's the one that came in and bought the team and literally saved hockey in Pittsburgh. So there's no one bigger than him. And then my 1B is just from my more adult time watching the game or watching hockey. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury was between the pipes, the reason we were even in the discussion for our Stanley Cups. He was absolutely a stud, still is. I still think, in my opinion, the best goalie to ever play hockey. So, um, yeah, I love the guy. <laughs> After watching Joe Smith of the Oilers. <laughs> His one performance I saw live, that dude was a stud too. But uh, speaking of the Oilers, what I saw that Connor McDavid won the uh, Art Ross Trophy for mm -hmm. the fourth time, and he's only 25. Yes, he's very good. It's pretty impressive like that. So, yep. um, Okay, so what's your next one? Uh, all-time favorite and all-time least favorite draft pick that your Raiders have okay. done. So... This one was once again tough for me because of the two that I already mentioned, Charles or Tim Brown. Um, I was a baby when they drafted Tim Brown, so I'm going to go with Charles Woodson just because I actually remember that draft and loved Charles Woodson coming out of Michigan to begin with. And then when we took him once again, I was just floored. And I really wish we would have had a better team so he stuck around for his entire career instead of having to go to the damn Packers to win a Super Bowl. But, damn tuck you know, he, he's still my favorite <laughs> favorite draft pick of, of my time, at least. And he's another one. I mean, like I made my comments about, you know, Ed Reed and Paul Amalu up top. That man. He was just he everywhere. He has been dominant from out of high school. I mean, dominant and that was college, my dominant and professional that was my favorite thing about when he did go to the Packers they were not afraid to use him all over the field where the Raiders had him as yeah. a you know just their lockdown corner and that, that's what he was great at but when he went to the Packers he was playing nickel cornerback he was playing up wherever they needed him he safety safety he was he was moving all over the damn football field that reminds well, me they also needed him too I yeah. mean yeah they really <laughs> yes, did they need did. him they had some yeah. young defensive backs on that Super Bowl run and that's what that the Jalen Ramsey for the Rams. That's what it reminds me of how they use him yeah, is sure. how they used to use uh, Charles Woodson on the football field. And then my least favorite draft pick of all time. I mean, I knew this one. <laughs> I think it goes without saying the, the number one bust of all time. And that is, I even put it Jalard ass Russell instead of Jamarcus, but that was Man, his training. Arm. Yeah. And that's, the frustrating thing for me was everyone was buying into that. Like, you know, he can throw 70 yards from his knees. And it's like, okay, that's great. But, like, when is what that is relevant? that going to do for you in a game? And, <laughs> I mean, it was just the constant, like, 
they gave him tapes that were blank and asked him what he thought of the tapes. And he said, Oh yeah, I love the blitz. Oh, check out the blitz packages. Yeah. yeah. And, and just things like that. And he, I mean, everyone was drooling over him and I was like, no, take Calvin Johnson. I don't care if we don't have anyone to throw him the football. We'll, we'll find someone that can get him the football. It's Calvin Johnson. Who cares? Huck it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously Jamarcus goes one, Calvin Johnson goes two, has a Hall of Fame career. Jamarcus lasted, I think, three seasons with the Raiders before they cut him and has never played a football game since. So yeah. that's my least favorite. Who do you got for your favorite and um, least favorite? So I almost went the route you did. I was very close to dropping Big Ben right here because obviously what he's, excuse me, what he's meant to that franchise for the last, you know, 15 years. Um, and not 15, 18, sorry. Uh, but I went with, uh, in the words of Joe Green, uh, he gave Franco Harris credit for being the catalyst that showed up in the 70s um, that led to the four Super Bowls. So, uh, I, I got to give it to Franco. I got to give it to the immaculate man himself. <laughs> as far as my least favorite, absolutely Artie Burns. Um, he was supposed to be, we're talking, uh, co- coming into the draft, he was supposed to be absolute shutdown corner. And he fizzled out with us. And he might, might still be in the league somewhere as a backup. I don't even know. Um absolutely heartbreaking. He, he came in right when Joe Hayden first came over uh, to the Steelers and he was supposed to be the starting corner, even over Joe Hayden. So it was all downhill from there. Absolutely. Least favorite. Yeah. Uh, With that, he signed with the Seahawks. I was going to say, I thought he was still around, but uh, that takes me to actually probably my favorite question. Who is the best undrafted player? For the Raiders. This one was tough. Um, they don't really have a, a huge list that they signed, actually. My my all-time favorite player that was undrafted that, that played on the Raiders is Willie Brown. Nice. But he was actually signed by the, the Denver Broncos. And then they traded – the Raiders traded for him after, I think, three seasons. So can't really count him as undrafted for the Raiders. Um, but the – of the list that the Raiders actually signed as undrafted free agents, I'm going to go with Hall of Fame coach and quarterback Tom Flores. I like and it. That is a obviously, good pick. He was just honored this last Hall of Fame ceremony, absolutely deserving as a coach. He did make a Pro Bowl as a player, so he wasn't a bum as a player, but definitely not the impact that, that he was as a coach. So that's that's my all-time favorite there. I like it. Uh, as far as the Steelers, man, I actually think this gentleman is in the talk for maybe one of, if not the greatest undrafted player in the history of the NFL, uh, James Harrison. For I've never seen anyone go undrafted and come in and have the impact that he did. I personally believe he'll end up in Canton one day. Um, he's a monster, man. Absolute monster. I still can't believe watching his workouts. He's terrifying. <laughs> and he's like, what, probably 45, 50 at this, at this I'm point? I'm telling you right now that he could show up today and make just about every roster in the NFL. He's a monster. Maybe as a D-tackle. I don't think he's got the speed to play <laughs> yeah, he's linebacker anymore. 
He, he's but, gotten pretty thick. Yeah. I think he could play nose tackle on just about oh, any team. Man. But that uh that concludes all my random questions. Um, okay. I guess that'll lead us into some draft analysis. Yeah. And as you know, um, NFL draft was over the past weekend. Still sad it didn't go. Looked like it was quite a bit of fun down there. Um, yeah. Raiders picked a lot, a lot later than I would hope. But obviously, when you trade for a Devontae Adams, you got to give up something. So um, we'll get into them. But I did want to say that uh, Chad Muma and Devin Lloyd going to Jacksonville was probably the steal of the draft. Like I love it. Those guys together are probably going to be the best linebacker tandem in yeah, the yeah, NFL. They don't, have, they don't have to worry about a linebacker for the next 10 no. seasons. And that's that's fantastic for them. So shout out to Jacksonville. Wish they wish Muma would have been around for the Raiders in the third round, but he obviously wasn't. Yeah. So um, how did you feel about your draft? Uh, I absolutely loved my draft. Obviously, there was a lot of uncertainty um, going into it with the quarterback conversation and which direction it was going to go, how the draft was draft was going to turn out. But I absolutely love um, Kevin Colbert. So I feel like that with this being his last draft on his way out, A, I love that about him, that he wanted to set up the team before he left. Um but he actually drafted very different from the way he has in the past. Usually the Steelers don't, won't even touch um, any guys with red flags, whether it be an injury, off the field stuff. Not that I'm saying that's necessarily what I want, but I feel like he took a little more risk with this draft. Um, and in doing so, I think elevated the upside of what this draft could be um, in the future. Uh, so I guess just, quick breakdown um first round we took kenny pickett obviously the big pick the big talked about pick quarterback out of pit love that he's staying home um what i actually think is possibly the steal of the draft is george pickens uh wide receiver out of georgia in the second we took demarvin leal defensive tackle in the third round uh calvin austin the third he's a small little boy man but god he can play he's fun to watch I really didn't know a lot about him. I started checking out film after we picked him. Um, but I absolutely – he's he's crazy. He's, he's a little little yeah. fireball. I stuck, uh, a, I stuck a note that stood out to me on one of the analysts I was reading from, and it I said, it. Austin's burst as a five foot 170-pound ball of fire is impossible to ignore, and that's from Nick Baumgartner. He, he loved that pick. So I love it. Uh, sixth round, we took Connor Hayward, which probably more so than anything is a fun note because we now have four sets of uh, brothers on the Steelers, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually am excited about him. I think he's going to be a good special teams player, and I think he makes a, um, kind of an interesting option out of the backfield being a yeah. fullback tight end hybrid. Well, and then and the that, seventh – oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say – Someone said the comp for him is Marcel Reese, and that's because Marcel Reese went from a uh, he went from a wide receiver to a fullback. So he had the hands and the speed of a wide receiver, but he had the bulk and explosion of, of a running back slash fullback. So and that's that's most that uh, 
I like it too. That that's most of what's been said about him is that his hands are unreal, which I'll take. Uh, seventh round, we took Mark Robinson, and honestly, I knew nothing about him. Not even NFL Network or anybody has any information on him. So we'll <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Um, and then we took <laughs> Chris Oladukun, Dokun, quarterback out of South Dakota State. I love this pick because I hope this finally means we move on from Mason Rudolph. Um, his his salary is starting to creep up a little high for somebody that's going to ride the bench for his career. Yeah. Um, I hope we move him. I was hoping right there at the end somehow we'd move back into the seventh round just to grab anybody. Um, but we'll see. So the bottom half I'll kind of leave alone. But um, the DeMarvin Leal pickup, I actually really like. He's undersized. I know that they're picking him in hopes that um, – He'll get a little stronger and put on some size. Uh, outside of that, he has some higher round uh, traits, which I really like. So I'm hoping he gets some size and gets mean, um, gets to spend some time with Cam Hayward and learn from the best in the business. Um, George Pickens, wide receiver. The, the Basically, the way they describe him is first-round talent, had some off-the-field stuff. Obviously, the injury set him back a little bit. Yep. Um, but he's going to be fully healed. I think this is a good situation for him. Come back and uh, pick it to Pickens is going to be real interesting for announcers I, to drop. For sure. <laughs> and I read that um, from several publications that said that had he not been hurt, he would have been yeah. a top 10 talent. So getting him in the second round is an absolute steal, assuming he's healing well. So, uh, And then that brings me to our first round pick. I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor. I know you have a bit of a different opinion than I do, so lay it on me. I I don't know that I hate this pick. I mean, I think he's the most NFL-ready right now. I do think Ritter and Willis have higher upside, and that's why I thought for sure they were going to go with Willis, especially after it seemed like that was um, – Jesus, your coach. It seemed Tomlin. like it was his – yeah, Tomlin. It seemed like – Based on what I was reading, it seemed like he was Tomlin's favorite in Willis. I think uh, a lot of that stemmed from uh, – I don't think they ever thought in a million years Pickett would be there at 20. No, I don't think so either. I thought – I think they were thinking that uh, the Panthers would go go and get him because there's a lot of talk pre-draft that they were very interested in in Pickett despite the hand sure. size and all that. So I, I like the pick. I, I think he's, like I said, the most NFL-ready of the bunch – don't think he has the upside of the other other two, um, but I don't think he has the floor of the other two either. So um, I think it was the safe pick, and it kind of leads me to believe that Trubisky still won't get his chance to start, and that kind of makes me sad. But yeah, I mean, tough. if I, if he does if he does beat him out in prat or in in camp, who's to say they won't go with him? Yeah. But I think. There's a pretty good chance that you'll see Kenny Pickett starting week one. I think it's possible. I'm still holding out hope that it doesn't happen. And I know that that's probably, you know, a hot topic among Steelers fans. I get it. I get wanting. We're so spoiled as a fan base, for one. That's part of this. We expect things tomorrow. And that's not the way it that's not the way it should work. I want he's already got enough pressure being compared to Dan Marino his whole career at Pitt. And now obviously stepping into 
the city where he went to college. There's pressure there regardless. He doesn't need any extra added. So I hope he gets a little bit of extra time. But I'm going to tell you why I love this pick. Um, and almost all of it has to do with intangibles. The one thing I'll say about his ceiling, they thought his ceiling was extremely, I mean, way further below than what it they're saying it is now before his senior season or his super senior season. He came back and wanted to go for that championship and his numbers skyrocketed. He literally pulled a Joe Burrow and I mean, everybody doubted Joe Burrow because he had one standout season or made a huge jump that last season. I mean, and obviously we see how that worked out. I'm not saying that he's Joe Burrow. I'm saying that we need to chill out on some of these, <laughs> these draft grades. Um, you heard it here first. Kyle oh, Gilmore oh. says Pickett is the next Joe Burrow. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, but the reason I really like him is his work ethic, and I think he's a very intelligent kid. Um, he is a bit older anyways, being a super senior senior coming out of Pitt. Um, the maturity's there, and he is accurate. Um, he is very, very accurate, and he's very good at finding windows. Granted, the speed of the game will change at the next level, so there will be an adjustment period. But he takes care of the football. I think yep. I think him with Najee and then obviously our defense, I think this is a good combination. I think he has a very good chance to be successful. Um, I don't like the Dan Marino comparisons. It was inevitable, obviously, because of Pitt. They're yeah. not even close to the same that's, that's style the of quarterback. Thing. Exactly. I mean, yes, he broke his records at Pitt. But that's a whole other conversation because of the way the game's developed. Yeah. Um, outside of that, though, uh, the only knock on him I had was that I hated that people were comparing to Dan because literally no one at the quarterback position should ever be compared to him. To this um, day. Yes, he's still the greatest ever. Uh, so I, I got to say, I'm, I'm extremely happy with the draft. Um, I'm actually really happy with some of the um, the guys that we picked up as um, undrafted free agents. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Um, with that being said, let's dive into into what you did on your side. Okay, so as I alluded to, obviously we gave up the first and second pick in this draft for uh, Devontae Adams. So you can look at it like we drafted Devontae in the first and second That's round. That's a pretty good first-round pick, man. Uh, yeah, I'd take it any any day if you can get a if you can get a Devontae Adams for the first round or for a first-round pick, you would take it. Um, so obviously, and that that trade's wiped out now. Like it's done. We haven't given up any further uh, draft capital or anything else. Which it's, is awesome. it's done after this one. So um, obviously drafting in the third round, you're, you're looking at probably not the best players that, that are available in the draft, but th there are some hidden gems there. Um, and I think that's that may be what we got in Dylan Parham, offensive lineman out of Memphis. Yeah. Some have projected him as a right guard. Uh, others have proje projected him as a center. Uh, so looking at what we have on the roster right now, we, we have guards at both left and right guard, and we already have a center that's under contract for the next two, three seasons. So it, at least on paper, it looks like it might have been just a, a best player available pick rather than going for a position of need. But there were several publications that had him ranked much higher than the third round. So if you look at the value of the pick, that, that's a good pick. And uh, Dane Brugler had him projected, I think, in the 
mid second round or something yeah, like that. He was, I know he was in the second. I can't remember when. Yeah, honestly, so, Brugler is the only reason I knew that name. Yep, because <laughs> I was looking at linemen for us. Yep, and and so if you if you get guys that are project go in the second and and get them in the third for whatever reason they fell, obviously yeah. that that can be a red flag. But that was the theme of the draft. I mean, we got we got guys that maybe had a, an injury history that are supposedly fully healthy now, such as Amir yeah. White in the fourth round, which is probably Josh Jacobs' replacement at this point. It's an interesting uh, pick. Yeah, I mean, the thing I should say is I like that we change philosophies from taking need despite what's available and and shifting that to where we're going to take the best value that's that's on the board uh, according to how we have these players ranked. So I, I love that. Um, and I don't want to say it's the Patriot way because the Patriots have not drafted well in the history of Bill Belichick being there. Uh, you you obviously have the Tom Brady pick that was in the sixth round, and obviously you get a Hall of Famer out of a sixth round pick. That's phenomenal value. One but of you're the best not wrong. I mean, Patriots yes, do what they're going to do. They don't care what it. anyone thinks. Exactly. And that was a very Gruden mindset. I mean, yeah. Gruden would take guys that were, you know, rated in the third round, and he'd take them in the first because he liked them, and he had them as – you know, that's what we need. So yeah. it's just a, a change in mindset. And it's really great to, as a Raiders fan, to not be laughed at because <laughs> you, you took these guys so early. And to be fair, I mean, consensus isn't always, that doesn't always mean you had a good draft. I mean, you go back five years and some of the no. best draft picks, like the Cleveland Browns have had the best draft for the last 20 years running. And, and what do they look like? I mean, <laughs> They haven't had a winning season in so long other than the last couple seasons. So, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Obviously, you you like the player, you like the prospect, but there's also the fit aspect. They have to fit into what you're trying to do as an offense or defense, whatever you draft them on. So, Absolutely. That's part of the equation as well. But I will say we, we drafted two offensive linemen. Neither of them were tackles. We, draft, we drafted two defensive tackles. And we already had seven on the roster and we drafted two running backs despite already having three or four on the roster. So it, it seemed like they went with a pure best player available despite what we have on the roster. And that can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. I guess we'll see. But when you go from it, I was just going to say, it makes you, it makes you wonder. I know we talked about it off air a couple of days ago, but it makes you wonder if they're resetting those rooms, you know, if, yep. is that defensive tackle room and that running back room, both going to get, you know, you know, a shift. I don't know. Well, I see what if happens. you look at how McDaniels and, and the offense in new England ran, there was never a bell cow back. They always had two or three guys splitting carries and they would just rotate them in and out. So, I think the writing was on the wall as soon as Jock McDaniels got the head coach position that they would not be doing a, a one running back sort of situation and then just spelling him when he's tired. It was always going to be two or three running backs splitting it and, yeah. and doing it by committee. So that was not a shock to me. Uh, it wasn't a shock to me that they uh, didn't pick up Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option. But when they drafted two running backs, when we already had three on the roster in – Canyon Drake, a lot. Josh Jacobs, and Jalen Richard. 
plus you have Brandon Bolden that's uh, running running back slash fullbacks slash special teamers. So whatever you technically, need to yeah, we already had four on the roster, and you draft two more. That that tells me something's going to happen at that position. And granted, the the running back they took in the seventh round, Britton Britton Brown from UCLA, may not make the roster. Uh, you're not going to carry five running backs on one one team. So I I don't know what it means. Maybe they make a trade and, and get rid of Josh Jacobs or Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake has been rumored to be on the chopping block. So because of his injury and all that, so possibly they, they cut him. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting in camp. That's all I can say because offensive line all over it. I think the only locked in position you have is left tackle in Colton Miller. I think every other position is going to be a battle and the best man's going to get to play. Uh, same thing, running back, same thing, defensive tackle. And, and that's, that's how you should run. That can be good for culture. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You don't want guys going in, coming into camp and thinking they just because what they did last year, that they're, they're the, uh, you know, the guy. So I, I like it. And then the only other thing I wanted to say is they did pass on Kobe Bryant, despite having him available there in the, in the fourth round when they picked twice. Um, and I just wanted to read something that let's see, it was Michael Sean Duger said about him. Uh, he said, Kobe Bryant feels like a sneaky good pickup at a time when cornerbacks are at worst, the second most important position group on defense, grabbing the reigning Jim Thorpe award winner in the fourth round feels like a big win. Bryant, six feet, 193 pounds, has good size, but didn't test very well, which may explain his day three availability. But Seattle is betting on getting the player it saw on film. High football IQ, high productive highly productive with the ball in the air and a game changer in the secondary. Not only does Bryant fill a position need, he may also end up being Seattle's best value pick. So yeah, it was a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. Seattle had an absolute killer draft. Um, obviously they don't have a quarterback right now and that was kind of puzzling, but the players they they did Lock, up, loved it. So I, I wish the Raiders would have got Kobe Bryant because of that production when the ball's in the air. We don't have a guy that's good at creating turnovers on our defense, and that is something we've been lacking for since 2017 when we led the league in in turnovers created. Or 2016, sorry, 2016. So we've had a tough time getting the ball turned over on the defensive side of the football, and I feel like he would have been a, a huge pickup, but missed out on him. Um, what did you think about the trades that happened in – in the draft um well and anybody that watched the draft coverage all the analysts alluded to this um you're going to see more and more of this every year those wide receiver contracts are so inflated now that picking up that second contract just isn't going to happen um so you're going to see a lot of these trades of these wide receivers moved out before they have to sign up on a second contract and replacing them with someone out of the draft Um, with that being said the Eagles already had a good draft going um, yep. for them to make this move for AJ Brown. I love it. I mean, absolutely love it. It was, it was an awesome pickup. So um, I don't know. I was still, I know who Tennessee take to replace him. I can't remember. They took uh, Traylon Burks. Oh, Traylon Burks. 
from and Arkansas. he's got a. I mean, a lot of people love him. Obviously, they, they he had a good draft grade and what he's capable of doing. I think he was compared to Debo a handful of times. Um, the the funny thing is on NFL Network they had his comparison as AJ Brown. Weird. That actually happened a lot during this draft. It was very weird. Yeah. Uh, their comparables are where they went as a team or they were replacing that person. So that was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but I love the I love the trade for the Eagles. I think Tennessee was dumb, but again, when you're trying to handle the money side of it, those wide receiver contracts are huge now. See, so, and the I Eagles like gave him the Eagles gave him twenty five million a year, and I haven't seen the contract breakdown, but it's four years, hundred million is the contract extension. Yeah. So you average that out, that's twenty five million a year. I'm sure only the first two, maybe two and a half years are guaranteed. Uh, yeah. So the rest is fake money. But to see them give that to him, and he essentially said, if Tennessee had offered me twenty two a year, I would have taken it. So he wanted to stay, uh, but and it looked like Frable wanted him to stay too when they oh, cut time. to him um, when that trade was made. But the the one thing I want to say about AJ Brown going to the Eagles though, um, and with how well they drafted, Jalen Hurts better make it happen. This yep. is a this is a big time make or break year for them now. Well, and it's He's got funny all how many the right parts there how many of these situations that have been created this year where, you know, they have questions about who, who's the guy running the offense and they essentially have like you have with uh, Miami or now the Eagles, you got Derek uh, and the Raiders. Um, yeah. Giants, there's a handful got, of them. You've got all these situations where they're telling quarterback, okay, we believe in you. We're going to get you the tools. But if you don't show us that you can do it with the tools, we're going to move on. So that's like the Giants. They didn't pick up uh, Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. And I think that was a great, great move because you you see quarterbacks that did get their fifth-year contracts picked up, and that's, you know, Baker Mayfield. You've got situations like that where now he's locked in for $22 million or 18 whatever it is. Well, and I and think you might see more of that him. moving forward. Yep. And then you've got Lamar Jackson. I mean – He's who knows what. We'll, we'll get into that in just a second. And actually, let's just jump into it now because no, I want to talk about Tennessee a little more. Okay. Um, so they obviously got Traylon Burks to replace AJ Brown. They drafted. They moved up, took the Raiders pick in the third round, and took Malik Willis. So I think by all accounts, their offense is downgraded without AJ Brown. Even if yeah. Traylon Burks is, you know, the top end of that comparison that they were they were saying for him uh ryan Tannehill, i think this is his last guaranteed year so yeah. do you think after this year if if they drop do you think that they move on from Tannehill and, and go to malik absolutely um i think if they don't if they get to the playoffs and have an early exit again or they don't make the playoffs i think he's out and part of me thinks contract wise he's out anyways Yep. Um, and I really like the Malik Willis pick for them. And the main reason is they can dumb down the offense. And I don't mean that as an insult. He just had a very simple college um, offense. They will be able to give him a year to come into it. And then once he does take over, they can run a more fundamental version of it. But him and Derrick Henry out of the option, if they can make that work, is a pretty terrifying combination. Um, yep. And if you Would can keep some of these, these chunk – 
if you had AJ Brown to, to run those, run well, off those options. And that's plays, what I was going to say is you're going to have all these chunk change little plays. Problem is, is like you said, you had your proven guy that is now playing for somebody else. So hopefully Traylon Burks comes in and fills those shoes, but you're taking a, you know, you're filling a, um, a known role, a guaranteed role. AJ Brown's going to contribute and you're filling it with a maybe. Um, yep. I don't know that side of it. We'll see what happens, but I do like the Malik Willis pick cause he will sit a season, uh, barring injury or something crazy. Um, but I do think Tannehill will probably end up somewhere else in the near future. Yeah. And it, it seems to me like Tennessee is getting dangerously close to having that window close on them. Uh, they let Roger Saffold go, which was their starting yeah. left guard for quite some time. Uh, Taylor Lewans, I think on his ninth year, getting up there in age at left tackle. Crazy to think it's been that long already. I know. And then you have, obviously, Tannehill that has questions about his ability to play the quarterback position. Well, he uh, flashes, and you think, okay, he's making the jump to the next tier of quarterbacks, but then he struggles. I mean, it's really yeah. difficult to to get a – I like Tannehill. I always have. I think he's a good quarterback. I just don't think he's going to – he's a game changer. He's not going to come in and take over. And then you have Derrick Henry coming off that injury. I think this is the first time he's missed any games in his career, and he missed eight yeah. towards the end of the season. Um, obviously, when he went out, he was at the top of the league in every major category, and I think he still finished eighth, even though he didn't play for more than half. Yeah. So it scares me because – you, you can never project out injuries, but typically when a guy gets towards 30 at the running back position and takes as many hits and, and carries as Derrick Henry has, you typically see a, a huge drop-off. So you just never know, and that's what scares me is by the time Malik actually hits the field, it, the, the Derrick Henry ship may have sailed by that point. So It's true. And then you have Todd Downing that – takes Ferraris and turns them into Ford. I always want to be like, he gets a lot of his harassment is unwarranted. And then I watch one of his games and I'm like, yeah. Okay. I mean, all it takes is losing it. To be fair, if any team lost Derrick Henry, there would be a drop off. Maybe. But, but the problem is, is they had a very, very good stable of running backs fill in. I'm not saying they were Derrick Henry, but they were successful. I'm talking hundred yard games. Yeah, they had so, what, Foreman and yeah, I, I can't mean, remember who else stepped in. You but can't yeah. just drop it on a lack of run game because it was there. Yeah, so I don't know that I I hate to say that because Tennessee's one of those teams that's easy to root for. They've never oh, yeah. really done much underdog, and yeah. yeah, they got the underdog mentality. Whatever. Um, so moving on to Lamar Other Jackson. Brown. Yeah, you've got Hollywood Brown that was dealt to the Cardinals for a first-round pick, and I think the Cardinals vastly overpaid for a second, third receiver type. Uh, yeah. But I, w I want to hear your opinion on, on this trade, and then I want to hear your opinion on Lamar Jackson and what, what this means for him. Well, the trade itself, I, I do think that the wide receiver position is far too inflated money-wise. But, I mean – this happens. I mean, it kind of, 
it kind of goes around where one one position all of a sudden is inflated. But like you said, they're paying a lot of money for sometimes a second and third receiver. Uh, so I think it's very interesting. But I also, to our previous point, Kyler Murray, man, it's okay. We're getting you some extra weapons. We're doing what we can. It's time to show us why you need paid. Yep. Um, so the trade, for the most part, is... I don't really care on the Cardinals side. Um, I don't think it changes a whole lot for them. I think it vastly changes what the Ravens do and what their future looks like. Um, like for instance, Lamar Smith hates, um, absolutely hates that the Ravens are considered a running team. It's always said he's wanted to improve his passing. Well, you can't improve your passing when you're taking somebody like Hollywood from him. Yeah. Um, and not replacing him. So I feel for Lamar a little bit on that instance. This was kind of an ugly breakup. Um, you know, if anybody's followed with the Twitter posts and all that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit ugly. I, don't, I guess it's not really a breakup, but Lamar wasn't happy about it. But I do feel for him because we talked about the whole fifth year option. I don't know that it gets picked up and I don't know that he uh, um, stay. I don't know that he stays in Baltimore for long term. Well, I think they already picked up. This is his oh, fifth year, isn't it? I guess yeah. they did. This is his fifth year. I apologize. Yeah, he's playing on the fifth year option right now, uh, but he basically has not engaged in any contract, any contract or in a, any contract extension talk with the Ravens, and the Ravens have been pretty frustrated by that because they want to get something done, um, but he well, seems to be willing to go that uh Kirk Cousins route where he makes them tag him and pay him top five money and go year to year. So I'm not saying this is going to happen because it's a bit far-fetched, but you have some quarterbacks on the market that you could bring in. I'm just they have saying one sitting on the bench. Well, touche, touche. We did talk about him yesterday, I think a little bit. Um but my point being is what if a team that is in dire need of a quarterback, say a Carolina Panthers or whoever, what if they came and made you an offer for Lamar that you couldn't turn down? I mean, do you pull that trigger and try to change, obviously, what the offense and things look like in Baltimore? Because that whole team is – that whole offense is built about around what Lamar does. So if you – you can't just plug and play, but at the same time, if he's not your future, you also have to move on at some point. So I'm curious, curious to see what would happen. I don't know if they would take that trade, you know, depending on what was offered, but I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of uncertainty, I guess. We did get a look at his potential replacement we did. in Tyler Huntley last year. I actually well. watched him quite a bit in um, college because he played for the university of Utah I, I tend to follow them because obviously I, I live in Utah and they show them on all their games. So if, if it's a college football game and I can watch it, I usually do. And quite honestly, in college, he was not good. Uh, he was a very run heavy quarterback, yeah. couldn't make the passes, things like that. So I think he's a potential replacement already just for Lamar Jackson, based on what he was able to put on tape last year and that he's in that same mold of quarterback that they're already built their offense around. So I think if someone gave them an offer they couldn't refuse, I think they would jump all over it. With with the preface saying, I don't think Huntley's as good as Jackson, but I don't no. think you need anyone 
as good as Jackson. Not with their uh, offense, not with the way they run. Well, and then if you look at their draft, they, they added a couple tight ends and they already have Mark Andrews. So they've got they've got good a good stall of, of tight ends. They have Rashad Bateman, that's their number one anyway. So losing losing Hollywood does sting a little bit, and obviously it stings for Lamar Jackson because he's you know his favorite friend or whatever on the roster. But I think it's really going to help Kyler Murray because oh yeah for sure Hollywood played with him in at uh, Oklahoma. They were yes, they did. you know teammates. Besties. They, they did very well together. So I like the trade for both sides. I don't, I think that the Cardinals gave up too much for a wide receiver that they're going to end up having to pay after this season. But yeah. I mean, if he, if he elevates the play of Kyler Murray and, and gives him an option in the playoffs where he definitely struggled last year, um, I think that's a good trade for, for both teams in terms of getting guys in the right situation. Yeah. I can't remember who they drafted with that first pick that they got for Hollywood. Um, but I do remember them having a very good draft. They added Ojabo from Michigan. That might have been the pick, even. Trying to think who the who the two were because they took uh, they took Hamilton right out the gate. Let's see, at Ravens. safety, and then okay. their second. He's a good player. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I know they got Ojabo, and I think yeah, that was good a really pick. good pick for them. Um, let's see, here we go. Hot. They got Hamilton. They drafted Linderbaum. And Linderbaum. Then, yeah. That's what. That was the one that they moved yep. up with. Yep. Got a new center, so that'll help. I mean, and then Ojabo was a steal in the second round. Yeah. Uh, they got Falele in the fourth round, which kind of made me sad because I wanted the Raiders to get him. Giant, three hundred and ninety pound offensive tackle that just mauls dudes. He will be the biggest player to ever play in the NFL. That's, that's a even big bigger play. than Trent Brown. Yep. Well, and but, spread out. Trent Brown is yeah. not tall. <laughs> not, well, you know, he's compared. pretty tall. I think he's like six, seven, but I'm saying compared. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's, that's probably enough with the, the trades. Um, one quick note in the NFL, the bears finally released Nick Foles after the draft, after they weren't able to find a trade partner that puts another uh, valuable veteran quarterback on the market. See, I don't know where somebody... he'll I was just going to say, this is somebody I could see a Carolina or a Seattle that is unsure of their quarterback room, even just to bring in a veteran. I could see him yep. going to one of those two or uh, even Washington just to have a backup for Carson. Well, and Nick Foles is no, that's not going to work. Not in Washington. <laughs> that's already happened kidding. in Philadelphia. I'm just and I, I don't know. think I Carson kidding. would approve. Um, <laughs> But no, I was just going to say Nick Foles has proved several times that he can come in as a backup and absolutely oh, yeah. tear oh, it up. So he's just like Fitz Magic, man. Yep. If you have him come in as a backup, you're winning that game. If you have him yep. as your starter, eh. not going to get, not going to be good. But <laughs> okay. And then we had a couple of requests. Um, pulling it up here right now, we had a request from Brady Campkin to assess the Patriots draft. And I, I just want to preface this by saying that the consensus picks are not always accurate. I think I've already stated that at least once in this, but they were rated to have the worst draft based on uh, the consensus overall board. And, and that's just 
all the analysts, all the scouts that are doing it for these networks, they're, they're building their boards and, and ranking guys. And they were rated to have the worst draft out of, out of ev- all 32 teams because of how they were drafting. And that was reaching for players in, in their opinion. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, five years ago, six years ago now, Tyreek Hill was considered a massive reach because of character issues, things like that. I think that the Chiefs took him with pick 153 or something like that, and he was supposed to be an undrafted free agent. So you can see how this turns out the other way, but quite often the consensus is is pretty close to accurate So with, with most players. So I would say that taking the um, – the guard that they took in the first round. Cole when, Strange. Yeah, Cole Strange, when most people had him ranked in the third round, definitely third set round. them back quite a bit. I think that was one of the largest reaches in most people's minds in the entire draft. So, Well, and I think between the Cole Strange set him up already on, I don't want to say a bad foot, but a, you know, people are going to question what they were doing. Um, with that pick right out the gate. And then the other thing that's weird for the Patriots, which I found really odd, they always get really big corners. And the two defensive backs that they drafted are tiny. They're 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, it's very out their wheelhouse. So I don't know if that contributed. And then I think the Bailey uh, Zap quarterback out of Western Kentucky, um, when they took him, there were higher-ranked quarterbacks available. Yep. And so I wonder if... Basically, that the was guards, another one. That... The defensive backs and him were the big because the rest of it, the Patriots are always going to do whatever they want. They always grade differently than anyone else in the NFL. They go about their business regardless of what you know the world thinks they should do, love it or hate it. Um, I just think those three things are going to bring a lot of scrutiny until either they prove it wrong or right. Yeah, and there were several analysts that basically had said. At this point, I feel like Robert Kraft needs to take away Bill Belichick's drafting and personnel power because he's shown that he can't do it. Um, And a lot of people buy into that narrative that that Bill Belichick was, you know, he was just a, a recipient of the career of Tom Brady. And I don't think that's accurate. Um, I definitely think that he's had some questionable pers- personnel moves, especially at the wide receiver position. Well, over he's, the last he's a better coach years. than he is a GM. I mean, that's For about sure. the best way you can put it. Yeah, you can't argue that, but he is also a Hall of Fame coach. So, well, he he's good with them once they're on the field. I'll just yep. say that. <laughs> so, and then. Um, did you have any other questions about teams draft or I anything like that? I think that's the one I saw was the Patriots. Okay. So we covered that one. Um, anything else that you wanted to cover before we, we cut it? Um, the biggest thing I wanted to say is, I mean, for anyone that knows me, I'm the biggest nerd when it comes to the draft. I absolutely love covering it. I mean, I'm that guy with my own notes. I, I love the draft, and I have to say this might be one of my favorite, if not my favorite draft I've ever experienced. Um, simply because absolutely everything was unknown. Um, The top 20 picks could have been interchanged with each other for the most part. Um, You know, you had an unprecedented run on wide receivers. I think 17 went in this draft. 
the the defensive line, especially edge, that was available in this draft was crazy. The top tackles were absolutely out of this world. The quarterback situation, um, you so know, strange it, to me. It's it's not this. I actually like this. I hope this works out in my favor. Obviously, taking Kenny Pickett, but so many people felt this quarterback class was lackluster, and I'm hoping that gives every single quarterback in this draft just a massive chip on their shoulder. Um, because at the end of the day, the, and it's part of why I love the draft, it's it's a lot of fun to do all this and check things out. But like they say, you know, three years from now is basically when we're going to know how this draft went. So yep. it's, it's just fun, fun experience. So if you haven't paid attention to the draft before, um, I'd recommend at least watching the first three rounds, you know, kind of getting into it with your team. It's just a fun experience. Well, and time. I think – one other thing that made it pretty unique this year is you had all the guys that got the extra year because of COVID. So yeah. I think the pool was a lot bigger and I think that led to a lot more overall depth in other positions, not necessarily quarterback. And like you said, maybe these guys prove all that the analysts wrong, but the thing that surprised me was even though a lot of these teams had, had the quarterbacks ranked, as third round talents, things like that. I, it surprised me that there wasn't a run on quarterbacks. Every year it seems like, oh, there's not there's not great quarterbacks, but then there's always four taken in the first round. Well, this year the guys actually stuck ahead. to their guns and and they took them in the third round. Other than the 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 Steelers taking Pickett in the in the first. Yeah. So, well, and I think your your free agent market had something to do with that. The guys that are available, and I also think next year's draft class who everyone has already said is going to be an amazing quarterback class and a very strong up, you know, first part of first round quarterback class. So um, I think those two things probably had a lot to do with it, but who knows? Yeah. And then one other thing I wanted to say is Georgia had a record in the seventh round format for 15 players selected from their school. Absolutely (laughs) deserving. I mean, tied the record had, for defense, right? Yeah, defense in the first round. Yeah, they had five. So yeah. pretty good draft for that Georgia team. Um, a lot of people wow. were calling them the quote-unquote new Alabama. They Although were this Alabama year. was Alabama was still there. So The one that was um, uh, really surprising, I just heard it yesterday or this morning, uh, University of Texas, not a single player drafted. I saw that too. And there were three – uh, HBCU players selected and no Texas players. So interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's a that lets you know where the state of the Texas program is, and obviously they've had a, a couple coaches in a row that have underperformed the expectations of that university, and they're looking to turn that around. But I don't know. It's it's an interesting time, and I think the NIL stuff is going to turn college football on its head, basically. I mean, you don't know where any of these guys are going. And nope. I already mentioned this in the in part one of the, the this episode, but even Wyoming is stealing players from the University of Alabama, and that is uh, Alabama transfer defensive lineman Keelan Cox just transferred, announced that he was transferring to University of Wyoming from Alabama. So that, that was shocking uh, that 
they're able yeah. to get that quality of player in in Laramie, Wyoming. But I'm obviously excited to see what he can do on the football field. And if he was able to be recruited by Alabama and he gets to, to participate in a power or a, what do they call it now? Group of five school. Because they're not power five. So, yeah, I think it's no. group of five. So he's going to tear up the Mountain West Conference, and I'm excited to see what, what that defense can do. Absolutely. And I don't know if you if you tuned in at all to the uh, Brown and Gold game they did I just yesterday. Saw, I just saw the article written up about it. Okay. So it looks like there's going to be some offensive firepower despite predictions I'm otherwise. Hoping. So I hope that quarterback they got from Utah State is able to stand out. And I don't know. Anything else you wanted to say before we called it other nope. than the usual? Just the usual I mean, so, give us a listen and throw some comments out there, questions. Love to hear from you. Yeah, all of our handles are at SQ State Sandlot. So Square State Sandlot, first part shortened because handles can't be that long. But SQ State Sandlot on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I think you just have to go to our page at, at Square State Sandlot. Um, we're also on, we have our website. So So hit us up there. Hit us up anywhere. Uh, give us any questions that you guys might have for your teams in particular, teams, the teams that we tend to cover, any league. Even if it's not sports-related, we'd love to hear your questions, comments, feedback. So Absolutely. get that in, and, and we'll we'll be happy to feature you in the episode or just your question, and, and we'll go from there. So, Kyle, thank you for joining. I know it was a, a longer okay. one, but always excited to, to talk about this stuff with you, and we'll, we'll catch you next time.